game of basketball has taken us places we can never imagine. From winning four EuroLeague titles, playing six years in five countries, and making connections with people from all around the world. We have stories that can last a lifetime. All right, now it's time to tell yours. When I met Michael Jordan for the first time, and still to this day, if I see him, he's he's glowing. I, it just came down to, like I said, looking myself in the mirror, like, brother, you really do you want to play ball or not? I've never been in an environment like Euroleague, because you know, living over here in Europe, bro, how we kings over this time, bro. Right. <laughs> Denver Thuggets. <laughs> Appreciate y'all having us on here. This is Hoop Tales. What up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Hoop Tales podcast. Today, we got a very special guest, you know, one of my guys. Um, to me, you know, one of the, the best defenders um, in EuroLeague history and college basketball history. Um, not only that, one of the greatest guys, one of the greatest people that you ever met, um, my guy, Sean James. Sean, what's up, man? Kyle, what's up, good brother? Appreciate y'all having me on. Appreciate it, bro. Appreciate it. So we're gonna we gonna jump right in. Um, you know, for those that don't know, you work for the the Utah Jazz organization, um, and you know, you were right there. You know, when you know everything kind of happened um, with a mix of this this pandemic. So, you know, kind of walk, walk us through, through, you know, through your point of view, from your perspective, you know, as a, as a member of the Utah Jazz, um, you know, every, for those that don't know, you know, the whole situation kind of happened with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Um, and then you, I think you also had to quarantine um, in Salt Lake City for a good amount of time. So, you know, so yeah. talk about that and talk about, you know, the experience that you, you and your family have been going through during this, this period. Man, first of all, man, it was, we, we, well, ourselves in terms of front office staff, we were on like quarantine slash isolation, you know, by ourselves before Rudy even tested positive. You know, we were doing a lot of traveling. So a lot of our travel got halted in terms of mines. I had travels that I was supposed to go to the West Coast and it was bad there. And I had to go to Brooklyn actually to do like the Atlantic 10 and the Big East tournament. And all of this, you know, got canceled even before, you know, the shutdown hit New York. So I was mm -hmm. still in Utah, just isolating with my family and everything like that. So when Rudy tested positive, it was at least a week to 10 days that I was just on isolation myself because of all of the traveling that we were doing. So when Rudy tested positive, then we really stayed out there in Utah and we locked down for at least a month. It was just mm -hmm. us in the apartment, grocery store runs back to the apartment for at least a month. And then we seen the season was going to be suspended and I wasn't going to be doing any type of traveling like that. We drove from Utah to Charlotte. That's a drive right there. That's 30 hours. 30 hours? <laughs> <laughs> how, was, how, how was your kids being entertained, man? 30 hours. 30 hours, and you're going through not the greatest city. So we couldn't even actually, like, make a trip out of it. We were going through, like, Wyoming and Nebraska and, you know, smaller parts of Illinois. So it is what it is, but we did it, broke it up into three days. 10 hours a day and, and we were good. 
That's good, man. Most most important part that you and your family safe. Um, so I mean that, that that's what you know that's what matters the most. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone good. good. So what do you think about this bubble going on in Orlando? I know they just recently had uh, you know zero positive tests a couple of days ago. You think it's gonna last, or what do you thought? Man, I, I honestly hope it lasts. You know, being involved in the NBA and just being a sports fan, man, I'm like, I need sports. Like, I want something to be on TV, whether it's baseball, football, you know. So hopefully the bubble work for us because we got a great setup that the NBA did out there to where those guys are, you know, following all the guidelines and taking it really seriously. So I hope that we could get to, you know, October and see a finals, man. Definitely, man. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, next up, man, uh, we're going to talk about this uh, this Black Lives Matter movement and uh, definitely want to talk about, you know, one thing's uh, kudos to you, man. Uh, you do such an amazing job, you know, raising your family. You know, I, I see it from the outside. You know, I'm always commenting on your pictures when you're pitting up your your boys. I think you're in a perfect situation, by the way, man. You got three young kings, man. Yeah. You got it set up perfect, but, like, for you raising these three young kings during these days, you know, what, what's the importance, you know, what are some of the things that you were telling them, you know, every single day? Man, for, for me, just the, to value in them, the value in their skin color and the value in other people's skin color. Cause when you're in a, in a racial relationship, right? You think that they, the kids, they feel like the world is perfect. Mommy mm -hmm. is white daddy's black daddy's white mommy's black or whatever whatever you know mix you have there so they think the world is perfect until they had to and what's so crazy as a black man like i go through my stuff we all go through our stuff but we're so like like immune to it that we could just brush it off and on to the next type of mentality and I went through wild stuff with my wife you know when we first started day in 04 or whatever I'm not going to touch on those, but I'm going to touch on the stuff with the kids because you brought up the boys. So my wife never experienced racism by herself, of course, because she's a white woman. It wasn't until she had black kids that she experienced racism because anywhere she went, you know, in, in, in Utah and other areas out here, you know, you're in a nice upscale area. So people... You know, they look at you funny. They talk to you differently, you know, when you feel like you're not supposed to be here in a sense. So with her walking with the boys, people would think she's three things before she's their actual mother. Mm -hmm. They would think she's a foster mom. So they'd be like, oh, you foster kids? They would think she's a nanny. Like, hey, how many families do you work with? Or she's Perfect. just a babysitter that's taking the kids out to play, bro. That's crazy. That's I can't crazy. tell you how many times that she's that's called crazy. me crying, right? Crying in the car because she went to the gym and she put my little man, Beckham, that's nine, ten months at the time. And people are like, oh, you babysit? Oh, you fought? Like, you know, called me crying. She never experienced it by herself until she had black kids. So... I always preach to the boys stories like that, instances like that, to where 
you know, they've been called the N-word before and they just don't understand it. So with everything going on with George Floyd and just being young black men, I actually sat them down, man, and just just told them what they got to go through and in certain situations they got to avoid because in reality, that's what they got to go through. So I want to make sure they prepared for that. And so I just try to teach them the importance of themselves, man, as best as I can. What, what, what kind of questions have they been asking you? Have they been asking you, you know, different things? Um, like you said, because they're, they're, inter, they're interracial. Um, so yeah. have they been asking you, like, you know, different things and different, you know, different questions Bro, on certain subjects? Simple, in, in the most simplest form, man, a simple question like, Daddy, you're, t and they actually asked this, man. They're like, Daddy, you're telling me if you dated mommy 50, 60 years ago, someone would kill you or someone could hang you on the tree because they ain't know the word lynching. Someone could hang you on the tree or someone would kill you or you could go to jail or you could get beat up for dating mommy. I'm like, yeah. And their mind is like blown by the, by simple, just like that. Or yeah. even out here when they planning you in these nice neighborhoods, something as simple like, yo, if you're, Throwing the football around the football, go in someone's backyard. These are big kids. Don't just run back there and grab the football like a regular kid would do. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Take mm -hmm. precaution and stuff like that, where a lot of kids, they just running through these neighborhoods because they, you know, their skin color is different and they're able to do that. But as a young black man, you got to let them know they can't move like that. Because mm -hmm. them boys, okay, they might just be running back there, but someone mm -hmm. think they're threat somehow some way so a lot of instances like that that i got to talk to them that they just they didn't understand but they do now mm -hmm. right right now uh, now to I'm trying to you know start off like with your childhood and how you grew up um you come from a big family um Absolutely. and like you said for people that follow you on instagram they see like you post and stuff about your you know your parents your your brother your siblings so, you know, you guys came, you know, came to Brooklyn, your parents came to Brooklyn, you know, at a young age, um, when you came at a young age. So, you know, how, what type of, you know, what type of things did you remember did you, your parents have to deal with, you know, being, you know, being immigrants coming to this country? And then also, like you said, you got, you got seven siblings, bro. So like, what type yeah. of, what type of household was that like? You know, like, I'm sure like, it, 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 I'm sure like your parents did like, they, every day had to be something going on. Something had to be jumping off every day. So hey, speak about that. Listen. It, it it was wild. It was wild with the household. Just wild with just five brothers. Know what I mean? And from the oldest to the youngest is just six age, six to five years. Yeah, six years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So everybody, everybody had their own friends because everybody's like a grade up. Yeah. So it was always people. It's five of us. But then I got two of my homeboys over. My brother got his boys over. So the house felt like it always had 15 to 20 dudes because everybody would come to our house because, yo, if I pull up to Sean, he got four other brothers we could hoop with and kick it with. Facts. All four, numbers. All five of us ain't just going to pull up to your house, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Because five of us coming to you instead of you coming to us. You know, so we always had the people at our house, man. But nothing outside of regular Brooklyn fights and, and, and you know, seeing the drugs and stuff like that. 
we never had to deal with any type of race issues because the area we were in were predominantly black. So mm -hmm. we just went through it, you know, regular, you know, cop situations, regular stuff like that we dealt with on a regular basis just because the environment we were around. But, you know, I got an older brother, G, that he, he, he was a goon. He was, mm -hmm. <laughs> he was one of them big brothers that, like, like, yo, we out here, but we not moving like that. Like, yeah. he really fought a lot of fights for us, man, that we didn't have to fight. And I salute him. Like, I talk, like, we talk all the time, but every time I speak to him, man, I just let him know, you know, that we appreciate what him doing, what he did, because he really set the foundation for us at a, at a super young age, and we really needed that, especially in the environment we was in. Definitely. i talk about your basketball journey, man. Like, when you first fell in love with the game, and I saw you really didn't play organized basketball until mm -hmm. later years in high school. Mm -hmm. So when did you first fall in love with the game and and talk about the battles with your brothers? Like you said, you got five oh, Talk about those battles. I know that has to be crazy. <laughs> oh, for sure. The battles were crazy, but that came later on in life. For me, like we moved up here. I came up here, I was eight. I was 91, right? So at that time, it was... MJ, it was all Chicago Bulls, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So we in the middle of Brooklyn, my whole house, I was always stubborn. So the whole household were Knicks fans. And <laughs> just cause they got a Jamaican dude and we West Indian, we Caribbean. So they going with the Jamaican dude, Pat Ewing. That was the only reason. We in New York and Pat Ewing is the man and he's Jamaican. It was no other reason but that. But I was stubborn to where I didn't want to I never followed, like, oh, everybody Knicks fan. I'm a Knicks fan. So I went with the bald-headed dude that was wilding on the Knicks. So yeah. I went with the Bulls. I was the only Bulls fan. <laughs> Yo, I was the only Bulls fan in the house. And based off of MJ and also Shaq and Penny, those early 90s Orlando mm -hmm. team, I really fell in love with basketball then. But for me, I never thought I was talented enough to play. You know, my brothers, we played, you know, in the crates, we played in the park, two on two, three on two, whatever the case is. And they were real intense. But I never thought, all my brothers, like, at one point, four of my brothers was overseas playing professional basketball, and only one of us actually played high school basketball. You know That's what I'm crazy, saying? Bro. That's crazy. That's Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that, so, at that, so all of us <laughs> yeah. went through life, like just going through life. You know, one of them dudes, Kyle, whether you had a high school game or you're a college game, just one of them, I was one of them dudes in the stand. Oh, I bust your ass. I, I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time, but I know the team. I got the grade. Yo, that was me. Yo, any one of them high school games where you hear somebody in the bleachers just wilding, but they don't got the grades to actually hoop, yeah. that was me and my brothers, bro. <laughs> that was us. That's so, crazy. So it wasn't until after, man, just going to going to a tournament, IS8 out here in New shout York. Out, shout out to the IS8. Yeah, oh, yeah, I played, I played, I played one game. I, I, cause I, I had, a, I knew somebody and they were selling by ISA. So I was like, yo, they told us that we was going up there. So I played, I was like, yo, I'm going no matter what. 
I, I went really, you know what? You really don't read it. Real, real, real reason why I wanted to go because I want the shorts. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> you had the shorts. You had the shorts yeah. with somebody in Jersey for real. Yeah, we we, we, we was talking about before how like you know you used to be validated by the shorts. Like you hey, had absolutely. some shorts. Absolutely. That's what you do. Like that's what you do. You was a hooper. So I was like, I need these. I need the ISA shorts for my collection. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, you coming from out here, you knew way more than me because. We was in the city. We knew about the the the, the hood tournaments, and, and we'd be there. But in terms of high school ball, we didn't know. We didn't know how to take it seriously. We didn't know that we had to. Hold on, oh. MJ, Beck, say hi. Beck, what's good, boy? What's good? What's good? Like that shirt. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Go, but yeah. So it wasn't until I had a homeboy, man. Once. Okay, buddy. I'm gonna see you later. All right? What up, Mel? <laughs> she she gone already. <laughs> it wasn't until one summer, Kyle. I had a homeboy, man, and, and I talked to him off and on. Now, man, his name Cass, mm. and he. He would drive, he would ride to my house with a bike on his shoulder while riding the bike, right? And because he knew I ain't had a bike. So he like, yo, Sean, just come with me to these parks, man, so I could hoop, just so I could have you there in case something go down. (laughs) So we go to these parks and, and like on the third or fourth park we hit, you know, in a week span or whatever, they trying to play like three on three but they don't have somebody else. Yeah. And my man, like, yo, Sean, just, yo, just hoop with us. At the time, I'm 18, bro. He like, yo, Sean, just hoop with us. I'm like, yo, come on, man. I ain't come here for that. Yeah. Yo, we hoop. I don't know what. We just start wilding. Like, I start hooping. I felt like I was KG out there. <laughs> right? <laughs> yo, so on the ride back, he like, yo, Sean, why don't you hoop? Like, so all summer, bro, we doing this. All summer we doing this. And he like, yo, Sean, why don't you hoop? Da, da, da. We going to park, hood parks, hood parks, just kick, just killing dude. And this is where my hoop confidence came from because we would just pull up to park, you know, put some work in, hop on the bike and dip out. Mm-hmm. We literally did that from park to park. So when IS8 came around, whether it was fall or spring, whatever time it was, he like, yo, I know this dude that could play, and we got to get him. And I was dodging him on the time. Like, yo, I, I ain't home, I ain't home, whatever, mom. If, if Cass call, I ain't home. Yo, he pulls up with the team van, yo. Like, yo, Sean, I know you home. We outside. I had no choice. I'm like, crazy. Right, yo. I go to IS8, I know at the time, but we playing against the Panthers, just like Charlie Villanueva, like Joe Keaton. No, I don't know none of these dudes, right? I end up wilding in this game, (laughs) Yo, I end up wilding. And Pete, what was so funny about it? My little brother, Dell, he at the game, right? So after the game, like, he didn't even know I was going there or that I could hoop like that. <laughs> Yo, my brother, dog, he just did at the game, like as a fan. Like, Yo, how the hell Sean on the court? 
Yo, and That's since crazy. then, man, I met a mentor that became like a father figure to for me, man. He paid for me and three other New York dudes to go to prep school. I paid one year prep school board, went to college, and the rest is history, bro. Literally just like that. That's crazy, bro. That's, That's crazy. definitely crazy. Literally just like that, off of that. One tournament that I played some, some a little AAU, so it was the spring, so I was able to play some AAU basketball. We went crazy and went to prep, went Man. to college, bro. Just like that. It was like two years, and, and that was it. Before, before we talk about college, I got to ask, so who, who's the best James brother? Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, listen, if you want to wanna win, you go on me. Uh -huh. If you want somebody that's going to get you 30, yeah. you go with Dell. Like, Dell is Mr. Like, here come finish the Euro season. He'll be hooping in the park in a tournament before he's even over jet lag. That's the type Bro, of dude he I is. So quick story about Dell. I was I was somewhere I was somewhere in the city. We was playing a tournament, and the guy was on the mic. I was supposed to play next. The guy was on the mic. He was like, "Here come the professional. Here come the professional." <laughs> I'm like, "Yo, who are they talking about? They like the professionals in the building. The professionals in the building." All of a sudden, I see Dell come out, and Dell out there giving out work. I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, this ain't the same Dell I know in Europe. I'm like, yo, he out there giving work, doing everything. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Yo, and that's the thing we always said, yo. It I played late. My brothers, we all played late. So if we're in Brooklyn, they like, oh, that's, oh, oh, and they see me, but oh, that's Dell brother Sean, right? Yeah. He gets to Europe. <laughs> Like, oh, that's Sean, bro. <laughs> he got all these tournaments. He got the name throughout New York and all that. So when I'm in New York City, they don't know me for the New York City. Oh, yeah, that's Dell yeah. and his brothers. They nice. He get to Europe. Oh, yeah, that's Sean, brother. That's Sean. That, that's Sean Denzel, brother, right there. You know what I'm saying? It's switches. But that's him, though. That's him, though, bro. He'll, he'll play like two, three games in a day fresh off the plane. He's slowing that down now, though, but he was all about that. Yeah, he's still so. You got to talk about, um, you know, your your experience at uh, at prep, at Notre Dame prep, man, and, you know, just, just everything you went through. I know y'all were, uh, what, ranked number three in the nation? Yeah. No, Dame prep was cool, man. Fitchburg, Massachusetts, a small, small prep school, bro. And like I said, we went there with, with three New York dudes. We didn't have any big name player that that went to like a, a high level college. I think one kid maybe went to the University of Minnesota, but we just had a whole bunch of dudes that was like from the bottom. You know, we mm -hmm. just got a bunch of dudes that just go out there, go hard to hoop. And that's what we did. We didn't have that crazy talent to have us ranked number three, mm -hmm. but we put the work in. We was beating on teams, man. And it was just, we were just hopping these small ass vans, take 10 hour road trips. Dudes wasn't flying. None of that. It was just, we got to go here, here, here. 15 hours, 12 hours, sleep, hoop, right back. 
but the experience for me was my first year, like I said. Like, I just started hooping. So, for me, this was normal. And I loved I loved every moment of it, bro. And, and mm. those guys, I had a room with, with three of my guys from New York. We all stayed in, like, the same room. And I talked to them dudes till this day, man. One was my best man in my wedding. So, that first year alone, a lot of those dudes is brothers till this day, man. It was a great experience out there. Well, after prep, you ended up at uh, Northeastern. I know you spent yep. years there. You went crazy. Your first year had, had the school block record, a couple triple doubles, freshman of the year, defensive player of the year. So just talk about that transition and that early success. Like, did you envision yourself going in and making that much of an impact right away? No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't because I, I, I didn't have a measuring stick because I really didn't know where I was as a player. So for me, the thing that I felt and it's something that I implement with my boys today, man, and all you guys, you know, it, it don't matter what, how talented you are, if you don't love what you're doing, you ain't going to be successful at it. You feel me? So for me, Pulling up freshman year, I met guys that have been playing for eight, ten years, whatever, you know? So I was so hungry because it was so new to me still, you know? So I was always in the gym. I always wanted to get better. I remember my first game, I had seven blocks. And a teammate of mine said, yo, if you can And this is how, like, it got put into my head. It's like, yo, if you continue doing that, yo, you can, like, lead the nation in blocks. I'm like, lead the nation? He's like, yeah, like every other cop, every college, you could be the number one dude. Mm -hmm. Like, stuff like this still had to be broken down to me. And I'm like, world? So I was so eager, bro, just off of that first game. And then after that, and the commitment to the game and actually learning it and getting better, that's when the success came. But all of that came just because it was such a brand new sport to me, man, and I wanted to be good at it, and I loved doing it. What's, what's kind of crazy though is that I I led the I led the nation. My freshman, we were both freshmen at the same time. Yeah, I led the nation in blocks for like for like two days. It was like two days. It was a it was a big it was a big story. It was like yeah, you, I was like yeah, and then all of a sudden, Sean James come out of nowhere. I'm like, Yo, who the hell is this guy? Who's this nigga, Sean James? <laughs> No, 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 I want to say, I want to say, if you go on ESPN now, you could go back to years and see the uh, block leader. And when you're going through it at that time, which is 16 years ago now, when you're going through it at that time, you don't know. Well, me personally, I didn't know those names. Yeah. Right? So I want to say it was like a year or two ago. I just went on there. I said, oh, it could go back. Yeah. And I seen you. I seen <laughs> This this guy, then guy or somebody. Yeah, yeah. It was so many names <laughs> that I see. I'm like, oh shut up, Kyle. I'm like, I don't know Kyle was yeah. up there like that doing it. So yeah. it was cool to see that, man. That was like a year ago. Yeah, that was crazy because like I I I I remember like the name. I'm like, yo, who is this dude from from Northeastern? And then like years later, we end up meeting each other, and I put two and two again. I was like, oh okay, I get it now. So like, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> So even then, like, did you, like, how did blocking shots kind of become, like, especially, like, when did you realize, you know, during that time in school that, like, this is, like, something I could, you know I mean, I could dominate it, I could be, you know I mean, I could be great at that? 
man, I would like again, man. I was so raw, Kyle. So anything that didn't require, like, like at the time, <laughs> I didn't think blocking shots or rebounding was a skill. Yeah. So anything that didn't require me actually having the ball and making a decision, I went hard as hell at it. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So blocking shots, I could get love. You know, rebounding the ball, I get love. You know, I wasn't on there dribbling. Like, I just wanted to keep it basic and go hard at it. So those were the two things that gave me that that type of appreciation. And that and that and that's what the spotlight was on, was blocking and rebounding. So I just went hard as hell to do those two things, man. And it didn't require me, like, okay, he got to – pick and pop now and shoot because mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable with that. Oh, he got a dribble and di- like, I wasn't comfortable in those stuff because it was year two for me. So I just maximized the stuff that I felt I had control over and that's what it was. That makes sense. That makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Um, just to back up a little bit, um, I definitely want to know more about your recruiting process and, um, you know, what made you pick Northeastern and, you know, what other schools were, were recruiting you? I had, I had small, I had real smaller schools at, at the start. And I don't, I, I, I could be wrong, man, but I felt in prep school, some shadiness definitely happened mm-hmm. because we were like number three and we were like killing bigger teams and all of this. And at one point I had, a bunch of SEC schools. I remember, you know, having letters from LSU. I remember having letters from Baylor, which was Big 12 at the time. I remember Auburn, all of these schools. But when it was time to take my visit, I only had Northeastern and and, and St. Peter's. (laughs) That was the only two schools. And since I started so late, I didn't have those people in my circle that was handling recruiting. So I felt like somehow I got funneled and pushed mm-hmm. to a certain school. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I felt that's what happened. And I went to St. Peter's first course. It was closer to New York, you know. And then I went to Northeastern and took the visit there. I had a, a dude that's the godfather of one of my boys, a Bahamian dude, Benny Davis. And, and me and him really clicked on this visit, man. And I decided to go to Northeastern. Based off that and the strength that one of my roommates, Jamal Dart, he got us offered to Northeastern as well. So we decided to go there together. And that was it. There was no type of fanfare or none of that behind it. But I felt something shady happen to when it was time for me to take these visits. I only had these two schools. Mm-hmm. All right, so you spent two seasons at Northeastern, like you mentioned. Yeah. And then you yep. ended up transferring to Duquesne now. So what, what went into that decision? Honestly, man, I had two really good years at Northeastern. And you don't want to live in but and ifs and all that. But after that year, my sophomore year at Northeastern, it's like, oh, yeah, you could go to the draft. You could do the NBA. And at the time, I was like top 20 on like a few mocks and stuff. But I was so into, like, college life. And like I said, I didn't have these people behind me pushing NBA and stuff like that. So it was just me and my mentor. He wanted what was best for me. You know, so whatever I felt that I wanted to do, that's what he did and that's what he supported. 
So my head coach at the time in Northeastern, he got the offer to go to Duquesne University. So when I put my name into transfer, of course, there's not a frigging college outside of, you know, Duke or whatever that wouldn't want me coming <laughs> off the years I just had. Man. But I went to, I, you know what I'm saying? I went to Duquesne because this is the same coach that I had for the previous two years. And I think for me personally, that, w- that was a bad decision. That was 100% a bad decision on my part. Now, we got to we gotta talk to you, not to kind of go back into like some bad memories, but we got to talk about the whole shooting. Um, you okay. know, for those that don't know, um, like I said, many people, like you said, it happened such a long time ago. But, you know, kind of talk about that. Kind of talk about the situation, what happened. Um, and then, you know, more importantly, how did you kind of overcome it? Like, how did you kind of get through it? Like, you know, as a, I think, you know, as a young man, uh, we was 20, 21 at the time. Um, you know, how, how did you kind of get over that, you know, getting over that experience? And, you know, and how, and how has it kind of you know, made you a better person today? Man, for, first off, that, that situation for me, like I've, you know, coming from Brooklyn, you've been in situations, you know, where people are getting shot at, but you're not the target, like, because we didn't move in that circle. So you'll be in bad situation just because of the neighborhood you live in. You know what I'm saying? So I've been in a situation where you had to run from bullets and, and, and someone getting shot at. I've been in stuff like that. <clears throat> but that night, it was something that was put on. You know, all you guys went to university, went to school. It was a school function that was put on by the university. So after the shooting, I had a lot of people hitting me like, yo, you leave Brooklyn to go out there to get shot? Like, why are you out there? Why People thought, like, we were really out there in, like, the clubs and stuff. So, you know, people, like, just all oh, Brooklyn kid out here wilding. That's, that yeah. was the whole thing that, that, that really upset me because that's not me. My mom, my brothers, they ain't, we ain't raised. We wasn't raised like that. So it was a school function put on by the university early September, mid-September, and coach, we had practice earlier, and he like, yo, listen, it's a school function that's going on today. It's a football game. Y'all make sure y'all go to the football game. And later on, 8, 9 o'clock, they have something at the student union. We need you guys to be there. Mingle with the student body so they know your face. They pull up to the games. Simple as that. You know what I'm saying? So the whole team went. It was a mm-hmm. football players, everybody, everybody was there. Mm-hmm. But the people that put the student, the party on, they was from Pittsburgh, right? Oh, okay. So since they was from the town, they told local people to pull up as well. So neighborhood people was in this party from the surrounding neighborhoods that we didn't know anything about. Yeah. So now, we in there having a good time or whatever, but they got people from the outside in there. So they got these, just these random dudes in there. We don't know them because we knew to the university. We think they go there. But they in there with their ladies. They, all of them, three or four of them, they got their girls in there. So they girls living in the area, they ain't never seen no six five, six six dudes with six ten, whatever. So now these girls in there choosing. <laughs> you got these athletes, whether it's football, basketball, these girls in there choosing. And I'm not lying to you. They in there with some 
some dudes that's like five, six, five, eight, like some like regular little dudes in there. And so now these girls and they flirting, trying to dance with the dudes. So these dudes get hot. The party's over. We walk, we on campus still. We never left campus. We walk in the main strip to, to our dorms. Some arguments start between one of the dudes and one of my teammates because this dude, girl, or these girls they come with is still like flirting, trying to shoot the numbers and, and, and whatever. So they get hot. My man was like, yo, Sean, we can't even get into that. We on campus. We fight. We get suspended. Y'all know how it goes. Yeah. You know, so we didn't even want that. And it was small dudes with a whole basketball team and other people there. So we literally turned around to start walking away. As we turned around to start walking away, two of these dudes were strapped, pull out guns, start busting it at the whole team right in the middle of campus. Everybody's scattering everywhere. And it's the whole team, so five of us get shot. I got shot in my foot. My man, that, that's the best man in my wedding and went to prep with me, he got shot twice in his shoulder and his arm. Um, Aaron, I mean, you know Aaron, he didn't really yeah. get, like, he got shot in the hand, yeah. but the bullet kind of like went through his skin and out. And another dude got shot twice, and a friend of ours, Sam Ashley, he got shot twice in the back of the head. And he, and or everybody lived, bro. Everybody lived. So for me, in terms of basketball, life, you know, that that's probably, that's easily the craziest night that I've been through, you know, just because we not, you know, we've been around it, but I ain't never had someone feeling that type of energy to actually just shoot at me and try to take my life or people life that I'm with. I don't move in that type of circles. Yeah. But it happened that night, and I'm just – Grateful that everybody good, man. Yeah, man. That's 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 crazy, man. That's crazy. You uh, you you. I mean, I was you still you know, besides Aaron, everybody else, and your your best your best man. But you, yeah. everybody, you still keeping in contact with everybody. How's everybody still doing to this? You know, right now. Everybody, else, you know, Aaron. Aaron is good. My best, my my man, Kojo. He's good. You know, one of the guy that got shot twice, Stuart. He was from he was from uh, Miami. But he came from Columbia. I think he got into some trouble after college because, you know, he, he never became the same type player that he, he potentially could have made some money on any type of level. So he got involved into some bad things. Sam was never able to play because he took two to the head, but he was able to graduate. Hmm. And now he's living, he's living and, and just going through life as comfortably as he can. But... Everybody else except Stu that got into some real bad situations. Everybody else is good. Now, now looking back on that, do you think that that kind of had a, a effect on you throughout your rest of it? Because you you played your junior oh. year, you got hurt, and then did that have an effect on absolutely. you throughout the, your pressure? Like the reason why you left, end up leaving Duquesne? Yep, absolutely, man. That was the, the worst year for me, man, and. Just because the trajectory I was on or where I was headed, I'm thinking if I take this year to just work on my body, then, you know, I could become that type of player. Thank you, buddy. I'm thinking I could become that type of player. But when you get shot in your foot, man, 
it's a lot. Even to this day, you know, old people, they always say, oh, it's about the rain. I could feel it in my bones or something. Yeah. You know yo, I could, yo, I could do that with my big toe, man, on my left foot. If it starts to rain, the whole joint goes numb and you feel the tingling come right through. So every time I play, that's just the rain. But every time I play, even walking, put it on shoe now. I feel those sensation because the nerves in the foot, you know, whatever got damaged down there. So I felt that had a lot to do with, you know, how I went through college after that and the entries that I picked up. It all stemmed from, you know, the shoeing, for sure. So let's talk about your uh, draft process. I know you mentioned you was on some mock draft top 20 uh, before heading to uh, Duquesne. You know, obviously after the injury, that kind of slowed some things down. Yeah. Uh, talk about the draft process and then talk about what you knew about overseas basketball and when did that become a reality for you? Uh, well, well, the draft process was still there because after that year, you know, I was still defending. I was still, you know, I don't know, top three, whatever. So I was still, you know, I still was blocking shots and rebounding. So I got invited to, to – uh, the combine, the NBA combine, where you're around all of those, the top five, everybody's there. You know, it's the top, what, 40, top 60 players that got invited. So I was there, I had a good combine, but then I had a whole bunch of workouts set up. The first workout I get to is the Cavaliers, and I break my hand. So I break my hand in the first NBA workout I ever had. So at the time, I was already married. So the, the, the D-League at the, the, the time wasn't paying if they had said, hey, Sean, we don't offer you a two-way or that type of money so you could stay locally, I would have. But I'm a married man. I wasn't going to do the G-League and mm-hmm. be in the middle somewhere with me and my wife making ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. So that's when I started looking into the European option and I went to Israel all because my friend that I went to Northeastern with, he played in Israel at the time, and he was telling me how good a situation it was. So that's why I took the opportunity to go out there. But that, as far as Europe, that's the, most I, that's the most I knew about Europe, was just going to Israel to hoop, and then I learned on the fly while I was there. You talk about learning on the fly, but how was that adjustment, uh, you know, now being out the States and now being in Israel and, and learning the culture and just being away from home? I, mean, I know Israel has some great weather, but how, how did you adjust? Man, I, it was – I adjusted easily, bro, honestly. I adjusted really easily because <laughs> for me, it was the first time getting a check, like getting money off of basketball. So I didn't mm-hmm. care what I, what I what I was doing. And I'm gonna be real with y'all. The, the first kind I want to say it was like a hundred and five, a hundred and ten thousand dollars, right? But you couldn't tell me I wasn't a millionaire. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you couldn't tell me. So I'm like, yo, every month you telling me I'm getting. 10,000, 11, I'm like, what? You can, so I didn't care where I was. So my adjustment, that's what it was. I didn't care. I could have been in the middle of wherever. 
I was going to do that because I was making money. That was the first time I was actually making money. So I loved it. Like, so my adjustment was easy just because I was enjoying hooping and I was getting paid for it. That was the first checks that I was getting. So I loved it. Oh, we lost one. So now, so now you 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 stayed you stayed in Israel for two years, and then you get the call to to go to Maccabi. Um, yep. So for the people the people that don't know, um, and for our viewers that's watching that don't know and maybe not get opportunity to expect to experience it, describe you know what the feeling like is to play for Maccabi Tel Aviv. You know, describe what that means and describe you know just just that the atmosphere and everything to be a part of the Maccabi Tel Aviv basketball team. Oh uh, man, it's it's insane. Like the like Israel is a country, you know, Israelis as people, like they love basketball, bro. They love it. And for them, if you play for Maccabi, you get more love than playing like for the national team. You know what I'm saying? You put on that yellow, it's like you're stamped. It's like you're on the Lakers in the 80s, bro. Mm -hmm. It's honestly like that to where you receive that type of love and that type of fanfare. And for me, you know, doing it on that level with those guys that was there my first year, from Devin Smith to Sofo to, to who was there, my, to Papa Lucas, to, to Jordan Farmer was there, to all of these guys on that level, man, I absolutely loved it man and for the next three four years that i was there it was absolutely amazing it was absolutely amazing it, it's one of those things you actually have to go through it to to understand just how much it means to the people to actually wear that jersey and represent them well Talk about you became the first non-Israeli captain uh, of Maccabi Tel Aviv. Uh, talk about how that happened. You know, what was that process like? And, you know, it had to be an honor to. Uh, it it definitely was, man. Shout out to Coach David Black that, that gave me that opportunity and Shimon, the president, and, and David, the owners. Because, to, to like I said, it's like being the captain of the national team. You know what I'm saying? So. For me, they see the amount of work that I put in, you know, the two years prior and how much pride I took into my craft. And not only that, but I was someone that could reach both aisles in the, in the locker room to where, you know, I could talk to the guys that wasn't playing and still have a great relationship with them. At the same time, you know, kicking it with the starters and making sure they know what we had to do. So... And all in that encompassing one person, man, they saw that and they saw that I was able to lead and, and lead on that level. So they gave me that opportunity. And it was surprising because we had other, other Israeli guys on the team, but it was no hard feelings from them. And I think because of that, because the chemistry we had, and it was like, yeah, Sean is deserving of being the captain, that they stamped me with that, man. So it was, it was truly an honor. And, and definitely one of the proudest moments of my career. And definitely something I, I talk about with the kids and we, we always bring it up every now and then just how that experience was. Now you, you mentioned uh, David Black 
So, you know, talk about him, you know, um, you know, as a coach and as a person and, you know, what, he, what he's meant to, you know, to you, um, you know, both as, you know, as a basketball player, but also just as a, as a man in general. Well, David Blatt is a great human being, man. He is really a great human being. And he wasn't the typical European coach for us. And, you know, you out there, Kyle, you know, they'll run you till your legs fall <laughs> off, man. You know, you saw you popping them leaves and all that. Like, it's crazy. So David Black always said something that stuck with me. He was like, listen, in preseason and regular season, I'll take care of your legs so you take care of the games. So this was his philosophy. Like, yo, I'll take care of y'all legs. Y'all take care of the games. Mm-hmm. So when game time comes, you like you get to the final four, you get to March, you get to all of these late later on in the season. Everybody got talent that you're meeting up with. It's about who has the best legs. Right. It's who can actually compete. So my three four years there, bro, I have never ran one timed anything. <laughs> Yo, now, listen, not you get out there on the track. We literally ran around the track about twice with our trainer setting the pace. Then we ran off. We did some cone cone work, some shuttle work, and that was it for morning. And then in the afternoon, we hoop. He's like, the only way you could get in good shape is actually playing basketball. His game shape is playing. So he didn't have us just just running out there, killing ourselves running. Now, if we playing and he felt we wasn't going hard, he'd stop like, do you motherfuckers just want to get on the line? Do you want to do that? (laughs) So next thing you know, we, we like this. We like this. And that's how we got in shape was playing basketball. We never was out there just doing unnecessary running. He ain't believing that. And he always sat me down and, you know, continuing to help me grow and show me a lot of things on the court, man, because even though I was on Maccabi at the time, which is, you know, 2010 or whatever, for me, reaching that level, that was just six to seven years actually playing basketball. So it's so much still to learn. And he would always guide me through a lot of things, man. So he's definitely someone that, you know, I hope continue to improve and his health is doing a lot better. So we gotta talk about that uh that 2014 squad, man. I mean, we were talking to Ricky a couple months ago on the on our, on our podcast, and he was talking about how close of a bond you guys have still to this day. Y'all still talk on the same team group chat, and you know it's funny we all follow each other on social media. So we see you getting on Reese, we see you getting on Joe Ingles, y'all. You know when they're on live, coming at each other and all that, man. It's, it's, a, it's the funniest things ever, but. You know, a lot of athletes don't understand how important that is to have that relationship off the court, and it helps you so much on the court. So talk, talk man, about that, too. Man, every one of them guys I, I talk to, like, on a daily basis. Like, I literally just left. Like, literally, Ricky just left my house. We just went on a bike ride. He brought his little man, RH, over, and we went, like, on a seven-mile bike ride throughout the neighborhood, hills and all of this. So, heck. It's family, like family as family gets. Tyrese, Joe, Devin, Sylvan Landsberg, all of us are still, uh, the five, six of us, we're in a chat, man. 
And it's rarely about basketball. It's about mm-hmm. life, man. It's about, yo, what you going, what you got going on? Yo, Joe, how little man doing? Good game last night, but not get into detail. Yo, Smitty, how's coaching? Yo, Sean, what's going? It's all of this stuff to where we're just talking about regular stuff, man. It's rarely that we get on there and talk about what we did in 2014 or anything like that. Because everybody on that team, we actually had a genuine love for. It was no hate. It was no animosity. It was just great guys that loved to joke, go out to eat, and just kick it. It was no nonsense. That was it. We go out to eat. We joke on each other. We do it all again another day. So those are guys that's family till this day, man. And now being in Utah and my man Joe out there, it's just strengthening that bond that me and him have. But now my kids that, you know, of course they remember him. They don't remember him that great from six years ago. But now they're strengthening that bond and our kids get in to grow together and play together and stuff like that. And that's with all of the guys. So. I can't say nothing but positive things about about them five, six dudes, man. It's nothing but love. It's not it's definitely a brotherhood there that is gonna continue for years. So we definitely gotta talk about that that championship run. You know, I know unfortunately you battled some some back injuries that season and didn't get a chance to participate. But that was an epic run. You know, we we were there. You guys took out Cheska in that, that semifinal, that game. <laughs> I, I, we going through the lane with that layup to, to, yeah. to the game win. Hey, but, uh, yo, you yeah, know I'm going to tell you, about that run, what I think started it, like, okay, beat it, like, yeah, we beat Milan and all that. But the thing, just from, you know, being there and talking to guys that, like, really set us like pissed us off like we had played Real Madrid a gang of time that season and they beat us every single time right mm-hmm. so they had the shoot around time or something like that before us so instead of being in there shooting around they didn't even like they was on the court and all of these dudes like they had like soccer balls <laughs> hey <laughs> And they was like in regular shoes and shit, like thinking they created. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. But they was over there kicking around soccer ball, bro. And we pulling up after. So for us, hello. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So for us. I think that, and like I said, you got some dogs. <laughs> like, we got some dogs. So I think that right there is what set us up for real. Cause we like, yo, these dudes are not even taking us seriously cause they beat us, you know, three or four times handily this season. So that let the fire and then pulling up to Cheska, we like, yo, anybody could be anybody. It's one game. We like, and now I we like, yo, it's Tesco. We know they're making all this money. Everybody making what we make. Like, we like, yo, we got to go at Tesco. <laughs> they don't need these bonuses like we will. Let's go get these bonuses. So just off that, bro, just off that, like, we like, yo, we got to pull up. We got to handle this. And we pulled that thing out, man. And it was amazing. 
It was amazing. I know it was I know. a championship for a lot of guys, man, so it felt good. Yeah, I don't know if I asked Ricky this question when we talked to him, but obviously, you know, that the, the team broke up after that year. You know, Reese went his way. You went your separate ways and a bunch of different guys left, Coach Black left. But if that team would have stuck together, how many chips do you think you guys would have, you know, would have been able to win, you think? Yo, honestly, just from the chemistry with, the, like, yo, and I always say this, man, and just shout out to you, Kyle, because I want to say it was like a month or, or whenever you sign with Milan, Mm-hmm. Me and Hick was in my house. It's freeloading ass. He always did. <laughs> so we we in there in the kitchen, and you had just signed. And we like, yo, think about how dope it is that Kyle is going to Milan. And for in terms of accomplishment and longevity, and just having success on that level, the only person we could have come up with that could compare was Mike Batiste, bro. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate Think it, about bro. that as an American it, going off, going over there and having that amount of success for that long. We like, yo, it's Kyle and Mike. Like we couldn't appreciate think it. of nobody else, bro. So salute to you, and and, and, and just how that's something like that's like here. Like everybody, you know, you have your success, but to have it for that long. On that level, bro, hats off to you. We were talking Appreciate about it, that as soon as you pulled up to Milan. So what Appreciate was the question that. again I was about to answer before I, I forgot? Uh, uh, how many how many chips y'all think, if y'all to stay together, how many chips y'all think y'all yeah. want? All right, well, so you know, man, being Olympiacos, being the Cheska, keeping core group of guys together that could pass down the culture and not every year you're, you're learning the same plays and stuff. You might tweak some things, but overall you know what's going to happen and what's going on. So if we have kept the five of us, guys that were actually factors on the team, man, so we could pass down this culture, we definitely, can't say definitely, man, bearing injuries and all that, we could at least get one or two more at least one more bro if you kept this together for another two years and then you just strengthen whatever the weak areas were we could have done that man we could have done that and it's something that we don't talk basketball but everyone in the group we piss because we had the genuine love for each other we just Mm. won a chip then you blew up the team and then you bring guys in like Guys were willing to take less to come back. Like, we wanted to stay. Yeah. Like, everybody there, bro, wanted to stay and wanted to take less to come back. Everybody left and, and made a lot more money than if we had stayed. But it wasn't about that. We was trying to hoop together and continue this together. And for the fact that didn't happen, man, a lot of guys, everyone in the chat, man, a lot of guys was pissed at that because it was a brotherhood and we was trying to do something special again. But they ain't, they ain't want to hear that, man. Well, uh, so I guess we, we got to get into your your post Maccabi years. You know, like I mentioned, you, you ruptured. It was a ruptured disc in your back. Yep. So, you know, obviously that, that took a toll on, on your body and on the remainder of your career. Let's talk about dealing with that and dealing with that pain and that injury and, and trying to get back on the court. Well, that, when, when it first happened, man, you know, in Europe, they'll, they'll let you play through anything if you say you want to hoop. Yeah. So me being the captain that year and all of that stuff, man, I was just trying to play through it and my back was just 
I'll wake up my body like this, man. So uh, shower, shower, hot water, just do whatever I needed to be available. But it just wasn't there, man. And, and then I, I was fully healthy going into Milan. But I go into Milan, and that was a whole nother story, man. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the culture. That wasn't the brotherhood, man. You making all of this money, and you ain't happy. And yeah. what was pissing me off is that once you get the tag that, oh, you're injured, people always see you in a different light. I was, like, completely in. I, I wasn't injured that whole year, but they wasn't playing me. Mm-hmm. I never say, oh, it's just coach. It wasn't like it must be something you was doing. No, they was just not playing me. Like, I would get, like, reprimanded or they would be on me if I pull up to practice and just working on my game. Like, I'm like, yo, y'all not playing me. A lot of games, y'all not dressing me. And so for me, I never point the finger. But that year, man, that was the worst year, probably one of the worst you know, coaches that that I've personally been coached by, man. And it was just a tough situation. So after that year, everything went down because they felt I was always hurt because why wouldn't Milan play me? But I was healthy. And then I got up out of there. That's crazy. So so then when so when did you realize like is it was it just more or less like the you just tired of the situation, tired of dealing with stuff when you decided to retire? Like when did you just yeah. like yo like enough's enough? Like I'm just going did you that, say you, you felt was, like you were still healthy? Yeah, see, and and that's the thing, man. After Milan I went to Bill Bow because I didn't get a Euroleague opportunity. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to the highest league outside of Euroleague, you know. ACB. ACB. So I go to the a- ACB, I get bored out, and I go to Olympiacos. So now I go to Olympiacos, and, and, and that coach at the time, I didn't know, but he was very superstitious in terms of, like, starting the same, he continued doing it. So they buy me out to go to Olympiacos, and they go on a crazy winning streak. Yeah. And now I'm playing in the Euro Cup, coming from the Euro Cup in the ACB, to not playing in Greek League and not playing in EuroLeague. I'm like, yo, why did y'all buy me out to not play me? Let me finish if that was the case. So after that, man, I sat down. I literally, I mean, it was a a, a game before we played Panathinaikos in the Greek League. I just went to coach. I'm like, yo, coach, man, you know, I've been here, you know, two, two and a half months already. Y'all not playing me. Y'all, I ain't going to talk about the pay. We ain't going to do that. So, so that ain't happening, right? And I'm in this situation to the point where they got me pulling up because I ain't play. And I'm out here hooping with the young guys in the back gym and shit, like, like stuff like, I'm like, yo, I, I didn't get bored out to do this. Like I, get, mm. I got bored out to hoop. So I'm like, yo, if this is how you're going to use me, man, like just let me go, man. Just, just we finish it, whatever's old is old, like I'm out. And that's what I did. But after that, man, every year, you know, the, the opportunities and the leagues was getting lower and lower. And I didn't want to pack up my family for those opportunities. Even though I knew I was healthy, I didn't want to keep packing up. Like, taking that trip, it got to be worth it, man. It, yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. packing up the family. Like, Same it got to be worth me missing the States for nine to ten months. 
and I didn't feel that those financial opportunities were the same. So I'm like, you know what? Let me finish out Pope. Let me fi figure out what I'm going to do after this, man. And then I just shut it down. Definitely. Before, uh, I'm just going to back, back up a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the first time you got a chance to play against Dell um, professionally mm -hmm. on that level. Like, what was that feeling like? I know me and Kyle got a chance to play against each other. It was like unreal, man. So how was that feeling? Hey, who well, won? Who had a better game? Oh, we, Dell never beat me. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> never. You know what? I can't, wait, wait, wait. But he didn't play in this game. I played against him. I was at Duquesne, and he went to Rhode Island, you know, 8-10. Yeah, right. So we pulled up, and we played there, and the coach ain't even put my man in the game, though. <laughs> it was hot. He had so much family. How – how much opportunity do you get to play your bro? And you don't throw my man. Yeah, you don't throw the game. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's it. So I was hot. Dell always take the high road. He was like, "Yo, this what it is." But I was hot. My family was hot. But the first year was when he was. He came to Israel. The same team I started with. He started with that team, and I was on Maccabi, and we slapped him. <laughs> we slapped. <laughs> Then, then I, I, then I, then I caught his ass again in, 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 in Italy. He was on um, Brindisi. I was in Milan. We smacked his ass there again. <laughs> so professionally, professionally, he never beat me. The only yeah. time he caught a win was in college, but his coach ain't throw my man out there. So. So he already knows. He knows what it is. <laughs> he can't argue that. That was funny. All right, so we got we got to get in the post post hoops, man, and you know talk about what you got going on now. Obviously, you know with your front office with the Utah Jazz. It's kind of how did that opportunity present itself, and uh, is it something that you wanted to do, or kind of just just fell in your lap? No, it's definitely not something that that fell in my lap, man. Like. Like I said, once the European opportunities wasn't there, I was always going to Vegas, kind of like how I saw you last summer, Kyle. Mm -hmm. You just out there networking, in a sense, right. you know, doing whatever, but meeting the right type of people. So I was doing that for two years. And then I had a friend that played with me in Milan, Trent Meacham. Mm -hmm. And he knew I was transitioning as well. So Trent actually called me like, yo, Sean, I know the head coach of the G League team in Utah. I'm like, G League, Utah? I'm like, heck no. Like, I ain't going there. And then and I was like, heck no. But Trent is my man. So I said, you know what? I'll talk to the coach. So he gave the coach my number to coach Martin Schiller. And he actually just took the head coaching job at Zalgiris, Kyle. Mm -hmm. Great oh, yeah. dude. Right. Hey. Great guy. Great guy. Hey. Great dude. Mm -hmm. So um, he called me and we spoke. And he like, Sean, I'm going to be honest with you. The only opportunity we have is an intern position. Mm -hmm. Intern. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. A lot of dudes, when they hear that, like, it don't matter what you're – I tell these dudes all the time, man, dudes that's transitioned out, it don't matter how high as a level you pay, man. Like, you got to pay your dues, bro. Thanks. You got to pay dues. Dudes, like, you can't just pull up, like, yeah, man, I was just first. Like, nobody cares. 
Mm-hmm. In this profession or any profession you're going into, nobody cares. So for me, I ain't never been one to have an ego or care. So I fly out to Utah, and I get out there. I met with the GM, and he like, yo, Sean, you know, it's just an intern opportunity, you know. But with this opportunity, because we know you and we know what you're trying to transition, you don't know what you're trying to transition to, so you'll get a chance at the player development aspect. You'll get the chance at mm-hmm. coaching. You'll do the film. You'll do some front office work to where we travel and, and, and scouting guys and learning that type of stuff. So I did that all year, bro. It didn't matter if the G League guys wanted to go shoot at 7 at night. I was driving this bus with a bunch of them to get shots up, mm-hmm. picking them up. Like, I, I did whatever. Usually these jobs go to dudes that's fresh out of college, 21, 22. So you can't complain about a situation when you're in the situation. So I enjoyed it, met some great people, man. And after the year, you know, they thought highly of me in that situation that, you know, I met with the GM, you know, Justin and Justin, like, Sean, listen, I know you did the coaching and, you know, we have opportunity in the front office side of basketball, if you'll be interested. And I took it, I took it without a doubt, man, because I mm-hmm. just had dabbled in everything. And for me, I saw, I, I actually sat down, I was like, yo, how many coaches, and at the time, Jawan Howard just went to Michigan, Pat Ewing was going to, was already at Georgetown. So I'm like, if I go up this ladder, as a six nine, six ten black man, no NBA experience, I felt my my ceiling was a was a assistant coach. Like I was gonna stay there for the. I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna stay there for the next ten to fifteen years with some nice suits. I'm an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that. I didn't want to know my ceiling before I even started. Really so that's when yeah. I went front office. Cause front office, I could you know now you you a scout here. Now you're, you're a regional scout here. You're controlling this area. Now you're assistant GM. Now you're direct. Like, it's so many tra- upward trajectory that I'm like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I see myself there. I see myself in those areas. So that's why I went front office, bro, just because I enjoyed that a lot more than I actually did coaching anyway. And it gives me a chance to learn more about basketball and what goes into, you know, more than what's just on the court. Right. Now, before we before we kind of wrap it up, now, if you was to get, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys, including myself, that's, you know, in that point where they're about to start transitioning. And you, like, so far, you, I mean, you've done it successfully. You know I mean? You, you thought you found your blueprint, you kind of, you know, figured it out. So what advice would you give, um, you know, to guys, older guys um, that was looking to transition out of their career um, you know, so trying to figure out what the next step is. Carl, the, the, the biggest thing, fellas, man, is ego. Mm-hmm. Ego, for me, honestly, is the biggest thing. Because unless you're transitioning transition into something that you personally already have set up, like, you're going to have to pay your dues. Now, you guys come, you know, when a former hooper or a football player, whatever, you're used to everybody coming to you, hey, sign this, do this. Like, you're used to being in the spotlight. But now when the light is off you and you got to 
like start from the bottom again and move your way up. You got to put that ego aside. Nobody cares if you're a EuroLeague champion first. Nobody cares about that. Mm-hmm. Like most of these do, yo, quick story. <laughs> We're in practice, G League practice, right? You know, last year or whatever. And it, it's the start of the season, one of the first practices, and someone gets hurt. And when you intern in, like, I'm interning, doing everything on the side, shot clock, whatever needed. I got tights and kicks on because I might be out there, right? So someone get hurt. <laughs> and, so, and coach goes, yo, Sean, sub in. You know, I know all the players or whatever. Yo, Sean, sub in. Help that team out until whatever old boy get back. So I'm like, all right, cool. I hop out there. One of the players go, oh, man, come on. We got Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. Yo, I said, oh, come on, man. We got Sean and Coach. Coach goes, hey, just so you know, and Coach always use, you know, little curse words and all. He goes, that's the most accomplished mother effort in this gym. <laughs> yeah, when Coach said that, right? I swear, I knew. Like I told you, I knew that they um they um went home and googled me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, next practice, they're like, "What up, big dog? What up?" <laughs> A different level of respect. Hey, was so different. The love was so different. But at the start, coach like, all right, sure, hop out there. Like, right, come on, man. We got Sean. And, and hey, that's the most accomplished motherfucker out here. Yo, I started dying. I'm like, right, I'm gonna and then, you know, the, the rest is history. But it's just putting that ego aside, like I said, man, when I was out there, like, I didn't care what I did in the past because I'm trying to pay my dues now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So whatever it is, whatever the situation, man, just have that same mentality to be successful in it as you were in your profession, whatever profession that is. Put that to the side and just start from the bottom, whatever it is, unless you have something set up. Because ain't nobody trying. It's a stigma with, with, with athletes going into these professions. They're like, yo, yeah, he's a former player. He thinks he knows this. He he ain't going to listen to this because he played. He made money from it. Like, they, it's a it's a stigma. So you just got to defeat that, push that to the side. You know, be a sponge. Be a sponge. Learn whatever you need to learn. Because these kids coming fresh out of college, 21, 22, they doing it for this $10 an hour and they yeah. doing it a hundred miles an hour. Right. So now they, they put their eight years in and they 30. We pulling up 34 trying to do what they was trying to do at 21. You know what I'm saying? Right. So these organizations, they don't got no time for no egos and people that think they bigger than the actual role that they're, you know, they were hired to do. So for me, it's just push the ego aside, man. That If you do that, that can, you could really go a long way. That's dope. Definitely dope. Y'all got any more questions, man? Nah, that's it, bro. Like, I gotta, we gotta, we gotta, I was like, I gotta ask the question. The last question I gotta ask is, uh, 
who who's up on the Monopoly series? You a hit? <laughs> Yo, Kyle, no lie. <laughs> Call his ass in action. <laughs> Yo, the last two games spanked him. He was supposed to pull up last night, I'm and he ain't you. pull up. So he pulling back up tonight. I spanked him back to back nights, and, and my own Monopoly coming here. So he, we ain't gonna have to. We be taking Monopoly back and forth from his place to my place, and he got some big four hundred dollar Monopoly board. Let me see. Oh, I'm gonna call and see if you pick up. Hold on. We yeah, call him. This What's if you pick yeah. up? Hold on. Ask him, ask him. Ask him, what's the series? Yo. What's up, Hick? We got, we got, we got a, we got a real life question, bro. What's up, man? I got to know who's up in the series of Monopoly, you were sure. Me? <laughs> <laughs> He's lying! Hick, stop lying! Oh my God! Yo, hey, he win the last two games, so I will give him that. But the last, I would say, two months, I, my winning percentage really high, really high. <laughs> Yo, Hick, but this uh, series—I've been busting your ass for three years, Hick. Tell the truth, man. You had a great two months. Yo, keep with the people, dog. <laughs> Yo, that man, you can't ask him nothing about Monopoly. He be lying, bro. <laughs> That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> Yo, hey, I'm a tag. Listen, I'm a tag y'all tonight after that ass whipping he, he coming for. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> we need proof for sure. Mm -hmm. Y'all gonna have it tonight. <laughs> So you like you like three and like twenty seven your last couple. Three twenty seven. That boy be lying, boy. Yeah, Rick that crazy. boy be lying. Oh man. All right. Send me on the op, dog. Send me on the op. Yeah, boy, you be cheating. Oh. <laughs> Son, get into this. Rick, they say you got a ten thousand dollar Monopoly board. That's true. I believe. You're a bad man. <laughs> hey, no lie. Hey, no lie. Like four days ago, I ordered the same joint. It was on back order. That joint, fire. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, hit. All right, hit. Get the people, man. <laughs> 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 oh, 
All right. Well, well, I appreciate you, my guy. Appreciate you. Right. Keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep, like I said, man, you definitely, um, you don't know, but you definitely a role model in my eyes for the, the way that you put on for your family, the different things you do. Like I said, I followed you, man, so much. And I mean, like, I, I aspire to be, I mean, the, the father, the person that you are, everybody I talk to, man, they, they always say great things about you. So, like I said, man, you definitely, you know, one of the guys I look I look up to. Um, and, I mean, I said, I appreciate you, bro. And, I mean, a lot of times, like, as men, we don't get the opportunity to say that to each other. So, just want to tell you, bro, I appreciate you. Appreciate all the things you're doing, man. Continue continue being well, being successful. Oh, absolutely good, brother. I appreciate y'all. I salute y'all on this dope platform that y'all got going on, man, doing the right thing. I see what y'all boys doing over there for y'all neighborhood, for y'all community, man. I follow all of that stuff, man. So just continue to lead the way y'all leading, man. And, and I look forward to, shit, hopefully it's a game or something out there and I can actually pull up to them courts, man, and, and just support in the physical presence, man. But y'all continue to lead and continue to do the things y'all doing, man. Thanks, I appreciate you. Bro. All right, good brothers. All right, All right, All right, All right yeah. Take care, bro.